Hello and welcome to the In the Proper Time podcast. I'm Gabriel, Heather's friend, and today we're going to be diving into the second part of our study through the fall feasts, and this will be about Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement. So this is the second of three fall feasts. It's also the sixth of the seven feasts of Yahweh that are talked about in Leviticus 23. So last week we talked about the Day of Trumpets, and we set our focus on looking at Jesus, looking at Yeshua, and how he fulfilled not just what he's going to fulfill, but how in his first coming, in the coming of Christ, he showed forth to us the kingdom, the declaration of the release of debts and the anointing of the king. And today we're going to be talking about a very, very important day uh, in the Jewish calendar. This is the holiest day of the year. We're going to be talking about Yom Kippur. So I just want to start out by praying. Lord, thank you so much, Father. You are a wonderful God. You made the heavens and the earth and the things under the earth. You are and you will be and you were and you will reign forever and ever, Lord. Thank you for sending your son into this world, Lord. Thank you for giving us life and breath and everything, good things to eat, um, a mind that we can we can search after you with and a heart that we can know you with, Lord. Thank you for making us born again, that we've we've been able to be one with your son, that we've been born again from from our corruption, that you, you bore us again with an incorruptible seed. Thank you for your promises, Lord. Thank you for the atonement that you provided on the cross. Lord, I just ask that um, everywhere, where, whoever is listening to this, wherever they are, whether it's uh, this week or next week or years from, from now, Lord, that as we study, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would fall, that your presence, that your nearness would be with them, that they would look to your Son that they would look to the wonderful things in your law that prophesied the things your son would do, and they would look and see that uh, it is finished, that a finished work of cro- the cross has been has been accomplished by your son, that, that you've sat down at the right hand of the Father. Lord, thank you uh, that you make intercession for us, that you have brought us to peace with God through the nearness with God through through your blood. Lord, I just ask that you would um, you would throw off every weight, every yoke, anything that would uh, distract us from seeing who you are, anything that would uh, keep us in bondage, entangle us um, from living in a reality of being free in you, and that you would glorify your son as we study your word today. In Yeshua's name, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so so if you guys remember, we one of the things we're doing on this study here is we are trying to take a look at the fall feasts, and we're trying to take a look at... Um, how it is that Christ fulfilled the fall feasts in his coming. So there's there's a kind of a traditional view that that looks at seeing how Christ fulfilled the spring feasts and, and Pentecost, and then there's an expectation of him to fulfill things further yet down the future. And again, um, I think there's some really good stuff there um, in anticipating his return and his kingdom. But one of the things we wanted to take a look at in this study as Heather and I were talking and praying about what we thought would be what we thought would be edifying is what we want to look at is how did how did Christ fulfill how does Christ fulfill the law entirely how did he fulfill um, what was being telegraphed to the people to the children of Israel about God's character and about the coming one how did he fulfill the fall feasts in his first coming so if you remember last week we talked about the kingdom, and we talked about how 
in Jewish tradition, uh, it, it was understood that the kings of Israel were anointed on the Day of Trumpets. Last week we did the Day of Trumpets, Yom Teruah, and how every seven years the debts were released, and, and we looked at a couple of passages, and we looked to see that, that indeed we are not, we are not we, so of course we're waiting for the kingdom to come. But one thing we can be very sure about is that God has set his anointed king. He set his holy, his king in his holy hill in Zion. That he, he, said, he said to the son, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. That he sits enthroned as a king now and he's waiting for God to put everything under his feet. And, and that Christ the king has come. And so very much in the same vein, what we're going to be looking at today is the Day of Atonement and how it is that Christ fulfilled the Day of Atonement and brought a full, undiluted atonement for us, a permanent atonement in the heavens. A little bit of background. So so last week we had not very much scripture to go off of. Today we're going to be going through a lot of scripture, so um, get your Bible out. There should be some links in the show notes that you can follow along with us. We're going to do a lot of background on what the Day of Atonement is. There's a lot in Scripture about the Day of Atonement. Um, and all of this begins with uh, a little discussion in Leviticus. So we're going to go first to the passage in Leviticus that tells us about the feasts. If you remember in Leviticus 23 is when God's speaking to Israel and he's telling them about the seven yearly feasts. So if we go over to Leviticus 23:26, And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, also, the tenth day of the seventh month shall be the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you, and you shall afflict your souls and offer the offering made by fire to the Lord. You shall do no work on that same day, for it is the day of atonement, to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For any person who is not afflicted in soul on that same day shall be cut off from his people, and any person who does not who does any work on that same day, that person I will destroy from among his people. You shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statute forever throughout all your generations, in all your dwellings. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest, and you shall afflict your souls. On the ninth day of the month at evening, from evening to evening, you shall celebrate your Sabbath. Okay, so we've got a little bit of background here. So one of the things I want to point out really importantly, and this is an Old Testament concept as much as it is a New Testament concept. One of the things he's saying is this is the day of the year where God is going to provide an atonement. Now, the the sacrificial offerings and the system that was going up there was, was constant. There was animal sacrifice that was happening all the time. And some of those were for peace offerings, a fellowship offering. People would bring animals in worship, and they would eat those animals along with the priests in a celebratory manner. There were whole burnt offerings um, where the whole animal goes up as an offering in smoke. Um, but there was also part of what the temple service dealt with was sin. And it dealt with uncleanness of the flesh, but it also dealt with moral things. So there were sin offerings and guilt offerings. There was also uh, grain offerings. One of the things, so, so there was atonement that was going on all throughout the year. If a person sinned um, and they acknowledged their wrong, there was an offering that they need to bring. And the priest would provide atonement for them. They would kill the animal. The blood would provide atonement on the altar. 
But then what would happen is not just the blood on the altar provided atonement, but then those sin offerings, the person that brought that offering, he wouldn't be eating them, but the priest would be eating them. And part of the way that intercession was made is that the priest is eating this animal and the priest is bearing the iniquity of the person before God. So this is very important. So we have, we have atonement made by the blood and we have atonement made by the priest. And so the eating of the sin offering that the person offers is very important in that. We're going to see this as we go into Leviticus. So I'm, I'm going to spend some time today layering and making some background about what the Day of Atonement is. So one of the themes that we see here, very important, and we'll come back to this. You know, when you read through Leviticus 23, there are holy days, and he says, well, let's not do any work on them. But today is very, he hammers it home in the passage we just read. You know, if anyone does any kind of work at all, I'm going to destroy him from his people. He wants to, he, he's asking the people to afflict themselves, to take this as a very serious day, as a somber day, and, and to see the gravity of their sins. So the thing about atonement, though, that's going to be really important for us to understand is the Israelites should have understood this as well, and, and the ancient Israelites doubtlessly did, that what happens when atonement is made is it's not by the works that the person is doing. It's by them sitting down and there's no works on their behalf. There's an offering that's made. There's a priest that goes in and he makes atonement. And, and on this day of atonement, so like we said, there, were, there was atonement going on throughout the year on an individual level. But this day, the day of atonement that we're talking about, there was a national atonement for Israel's sin. There was atonement that was made for the priests because priests sin, the Levitical priests sin. Um, there was atonement made for the uncleanness of the of the tabernacle and the uncleanness of the altar. And so there was an atonement provided, a covering provided on this day. So we can find out what happens on the day of atonement. We're not going to read uh, this entire passage here. But in your own studies, I would encourage you, just so you can know the, the nitty-gritty details, um, God doesn't say anything for no reason. You know, he says, when he says something, sometimes I've, when we go through Leviticus, sometimes it can be uh, maybe a little bit foreign to us and maybe uh, maybe it can be repetitive and maybe it's hard for us to understand. But, you know, God uh, God put those those ancient things into his word for all time. And, and I've found, man, it's so, it's so enriching when if we look look into Leviticus, we look into, man, even Chronicles and the names, the, the dry parts of the Bible. And we look and we look for the face of Christ and we're looking to find out why is it that God put this in his word? Uh, there's always a blessing there. There's always something really juicy there. So even if you're not really familiar with Leviticus or you're not, if you, maybe you haven't read this book before, I would encourage you go check out what happened and what God told the children of Israel to do. Um, in Leviticus 16. We're not going to read all that, but this is going to outline for you um, the process by which the priest went into the temple and made atonement on the Day of Atonement. So you may remember that the priests, the high priest, not even all the priests, but the high priest, he would go in once a year to the holiest place of all where the Ark of the Covenant was. So in the tabernacle, there was kind of a, it was kind of like three tents in one. There was this outer court area where the offerings were done, where uh, people that were clean and were worshiping God, they could come in and that's where they would offer the offerings and the priest would sprinkle the blood and, and there was a big brazen altar, the altar of sacrifice. And then further in, all of the priests could go in, 
but the common people didn't go in. And that was where, that was called the holy place. So there was the arca, there was the, uh, the table of showbread, there was the menorah, and there was the incense altar. And, and further back, there was another place, a holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was, the holiest place of all. And that place, only the high priest would go in and only one time a year. And he would go in to make this special offering that is being made at Yom Kippur that we're going to talk about. But it didn't start that way. And that's the really interesting thing. So we need to go back. So let's, let's just read the first verse here in Leviticus. Uh, Leviticus chapter 16. It says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they offered profane fire before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come just any time into the holy place inside the veil, before the mercy seat which is on the ark, lest he die, for I will appear in a cloud above the mercy seat. This is how Aaron shall come into the holy place, with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering, and a ram as a burnt offering. And we're going to go on further. We could read the whole chapter. But I want you to notice this. This is a really important thing. So here's a story we need to know. So when God first gave Leviticus, this is a this is an, this is a later on down the road commandment. This whole day, everything that's going on on the Day of Atonement, it wasn't exactly how it was at the beginning of the book of Leviticus even. So it says, after the death of the two sons of Aaron. Maybe you know this story, maybe you don't, but we're going to go through it and and hopefully it's going to shine some light to what today is about for us. Okay, so if you read the whole book of Leviticus, starting in the in the first chapter, this is a book that has very much to do with the priesthood. It has very much to do with what God considers holy and unholy, what is considered ceremonial clean and unclean. It has uh, a lot of the weird gunky laws about leprosy. It has laws about kosher. And it has laws about um, uncleanness of our bodies. It has laws about morality and God's holiness. And so in, in what's happening in the tabernacle is God is showing his character to the people. And he's showing them through pictures that are going to ultimately culminate in Christ. And he gives them this to teach them that God has a holy nature. And that when we approach God, there's got to be a deep sense of holiness, right? So, when we go through Leviticus, and it, it's going to outline a lot of offerings. One, two, three, four, five, six. Uh, when we get into chapter 7, it's outline, that's all outlining how the priests are going to do their offerings on a daily basis. When we get to chapter 8, this is when Aaron and his sons, they're going to be inaugurated. So this is the first, the, the opening passage, the opening chapter of temple service and how temple service is going to be conducted. So there's a whole ritual that they go through. Moses offers some animals and for seven days they stay in the tent and they've went through this offering. And now when we get into chapter 9 of Leviticus we're going to see that now the temple is up and running. The priests are consecrated and they're ready to offer the offerings. And so Moses tells the people to bring an offering so that Aaron and the priests can begin temple service for them. Okay. I want to go, let's, let's read a little bit of this passage here. Let's go to chapter nine, Leviticus chapter nine. And, and let's go to verse 22. Okay, so Moses has commanded them to bring several offerings. 
And in verse 22, it says that, Then Aaron lifted up his hands towards the people and blessed them and came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting and came out and blessed the people. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to the people and fire came down from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. And when the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. So, so Aaron offers the offering, he puts it on the altar, and God lights this fire. He starts the fire on the altar. Uh, we see the same thing when, when Solomon builds his tabernacle, his temple, that they offer an offering, and the initial offering, God lights the fire from heaven. So this is very important. Holy, holy thing that we need to recognize is that the way that God conducted temple service in the Old Testament is that he provided the fire. He didn't ask the people to start a fire for his offerings. Actually, holy fire came down from heaven and consumed the altar on the offering. And, and so there was a, there's a command that says that the priests, they're to keep that holy fire burning. It's their responsibility. That fire is to never go out on the altar. And the reason is, is not just because it's a special fire some man started, but it's a holy fire that God himself started. When we think about, when we think about living in, in grace and not living in our own works, living as an offering before the Lord, living by the Holy Spirit and not by our flesh, this is the same picture that comes to mind for us. You know, so if, if you are in Christ, you're a new creation. When you lifted up your heart to the Lord Jesus, and, and you lifted up your life as an offering to him. Um, he looked down on that and, and he sealed you. He anointed you with the Holy Spirit. Fire came down from heaven and, and it consumed the altar. In our lives, we have, we have a holy fire from the Holy Spirit, a holy fire from the Lord. And, and what God doesn't want us to do, he doesn't want us to try to go off into the corner and muster up our own fire, roll the sticks together and blow on it and, and come with a fire of works to bring an offering before him. He says that he says he wants all of us. He wants that soothing aroma. He wants us. He wants us to be living as a, as a living offering on his altar, but he doesn't want us in our own power, in our own strength. He wants us to give ourselves to him through the power that he gave to us. See, that's how Christ, Christ, he entered in behind the veil. He was the first fruits of this great offering. He once and for all offered his life and he sent holy fire down from heaven on the heads of the apostles. He initiated a new temple, uh, the temple of his body that we are. And, and we're a holy priesthood to him. And that holy, that same Holy Spirit fire that came down on the heads of the apostles, God has made sure that that fire has never gone out. We have the same faith. We have the same like faith that Peter and James, and Thaddeus, and Matthew, and, and the 120, the men and women had, when fire was on their heads, they were the, they were the inauguration offering. And, and we still have that same fire in our hearts. That's how we actually serve the Lord. We didn't begin with an offering of our own. God brought himself. He brought his son as an offering. He lifted up his son as an offering, and he sent a holy fire onto his church. And, and we live, we can come not by our own works, but we can live, we can give ourselves through the way that Christ gave himself in, in a pure and holy way that I've got, actually have grace. 
I have love in my heart, not as a stingy offering like Cain, but I can't wait. I've got, I've got it welling up inside of me when I look at what Christ has done, when I look at how he's given me his, his life. Uh, it's welling up inside of me to, to offer everything I have to him. And that's what God's wanting for us here. So I say all that to say what happens here in, in chapter 10. So we just ended chapter 9 of Leviticus. And now a very famous story. Um, it says, Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, see they're priests, each took his censer and put fire in it, and put incense on it, and offered strange or profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy, and before all the people I must be glorified. Okay, really ragged story, right? We're not exactly sure what the profane fire is. We're not exactly sure, but they took fire. It wasn't apparently the fire we just read about, the fire that came down and consumed the altar. They're going to they're gonna bring some other fire, a strange fire, not, not the fire God provided, not the holy fire from heaven that God provided, but they've got their own strange fire, and they're going to come and bring an offering to the Lord. They're going to bring the sacrifice of fools. And, and God isn't, God's not impressed. He doesn't think it's cute. He, just, he, he literally kills them on the spot in front of the people. Fire comes out, boom, he ices them right then and there. And, and Moses says, that's what God said. He has to be treated as holy. And so when we think about treating God as holy, sometimes we can think about how, oh my goodness, God, you know, he, I've got to get everything right. I've got to do everything right. And really what he's saying here is like, man, can you look, I've provided something so remarkable from heaven. Don't try to make another way. Abide in what I've provided. Minister with what I've provided. Don't think you're greater than God who sent fire down from heaven. Like that you've got to bring your own special offering, but God's provided a thing. Understand the day of atonement itself, everything that's going to be done here. This is coming out of what happened at the beginning. This is coming out of Nadab and Abihu and their sinful offering of profane fire. It's coming out of Aaron's failure to make atonement for the people at the beginning. And so Aaron's going to need to make atonement for himself and for his whole household. He's going to need to go. And, and what happens is that he isn't going to get to go into the veil just any time. Now there's this restriction. There's this place where he's saying one time a year, only Aaron or the high priest that comes after him is going to come in and make atonement. So that's all a background for us to talk about the telegraphing of what Christ did and when he came, what he did when he ascended into the heavens, what he did when he offered himself on the tree for us. So I don't, I don't know if you've been following along with um, the plan for reading, but um, I would encourage you, if you have some time, maybe you have been doing this, I think it's on the, um, I think it's on the Fall Feast Guide, but going through the whole book of Hebrews, start from chapter one and go all the way to the end. The whole book of Hebrews, the background for the book of Hebrews, is talking about the Day of Atonement. Now, it talks about a lot of other things. It's going to talk about Christ and his supremacy over the angels, his supremacy over sin and over death. It's going to talk very much about how he put on flesh to bear with our weaknesses so he could be a faithful high priest. But the atonement that it talks about, there's, there's great sections and there's so much imagery. If you read Leviticus 16, 17, and you go in and you read the book of Hebrews, you're going to see all this imagery because the writer of Hebrews 
Um, he's trying to talk to the Hebrew believers, and he's trying to show to them that atonement has been made in a perfect way, in a temple that's not been made with hands, with not the blood of bulls and goats, but with the blood of a God-man. That Christ has offered, not only is he the perfect offering, so it's going to highlight those two things. Christ is the perfect offering, in that he's better than bulls and goats, but the perfect Son of God gave his blood for us. And that is able to cleanse our conscience, not just cleanse over our sin, make us ritually pure, or put away our sin for a time, but that is actually going to, that blood is going to reach deep down into our hearts and change our conscience, change us from the inside out. When we look on him whom we've pierced, when we look at, when we look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, when we see how great of a sacrifice he's given for us, that reality, that finished work on the cross, we can look at that and say, that is enough. Behold, it's good. I've got sin. I'm all bound up in my own lusts and my own, but you know, Christ put, put all my sin on the tree. He, he actually took all that, that wickedness and that shame and that darkness and that anger towards God and towards life. And he took that and he crushed it on the tree and he, he didn't have to do that. He knew no sin, but the wretchedness that I've done, he bore that instead. He actually stood between the wrath of God, just, just like Nadab and Abihu, when the wrath of God was pouring out towards me. When, when I came with my strange fire to God, when I came with all of my works and all of my self-righteousness to do something in the face of God's holiness, Christ stood between the wrath of God and me and he bore it all on himself. And, and I can actually enter in behind the veil because of this. Not only is he a perfect sacrifice, but the book of Hebrews is also going to talk about how he is the perfect and better high priest. He's not after the court, the order of Aaron, but he's after the order of Melchizedek. And this is a promise that God gave to David. He talked about the Messiah coming and that he would make him a priest forever. First of all, so this is a priest that lasts forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So he talks about how the Aaronic priesthood, they had a problem that they were going to sin and they were going to die. They were going to offer offerings of animals. And they, if they offered their own lives, they wouldn't be acceptable because they're full of sin. But God, he sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, weak and beggarly and afflicted just like us, without sin. And in power, he gave his son for us. He gave an offering that we never could have paid. That He paid more than than thousands of rivers of oil. He paid more than the cattle on a thousand hills. He paid, he paid his own son for our sins. An offering we could not have offered. God offered for, for us. And it was a perfect offering. And a priest that could never arise from our own seed. God sent his son, the perfect seed of the woman. He sent his son, one with humanity, to be a priest forever on our behalf. And he entered not into the holy place on, on the earth, not into the place where the priest would have went before the, the Ark of the Covenant once a year, but he went before, he went up into the heavens. He took his, his blood and he sat down at the right hand of the Father and he went into the holiest of all. And he, we went in through the veil of his flesh. He rent the veil so that we have unfettered access to God again. He took the wrath on him, the separation that occurred all the way back with Nadab and Abihu before that, all the way back in the garden, the sin and the separation. And, and, and he took that away 
and he nailed it to the cross, and he buried it away, and he took it as far as the east is from the west, and he took his life and he raised it up again, that we could have new life in him, and he sent his Holy Spirit down from heaven. And he is the pure and perfect atonement. See, on the Day of Atonement, um, what is traditional to do, um, this is the way that the Jews practice the Day of Atonement, and they've the Day of Atonement's been very important to them since the destruction of the temple, because this, like like we said earlier, this is the, the holiest day of the year. And if you read in Leviticus, it's it's very, very serious. You know, it's it's this is a very serious, solemn day. This is the day atonement's going to be made for all Israel. So, uh, since there isn't a temple, the Jews have continued the practice, and, and one of the ways that they've afflicted themselves is they fast. So on that day, the day of atonement, they're going to fast, and they're going to they're going to seek forgiveness from God, and there's there's a saying that there's a there are a small book opened at the day of trumpets, and a larger book is opened on the day of atonement, and the sins of all of all of this year's sins are either going to be wiped away or they're going to be sealed and taken over into next year, and and so it's very important, you know, back in the days when Aaron would go in. Uh, the people would be waiting in expectation. When when Aaron's sons would go in, um, they want to make sure that the offering is accepted by God, you know, because because maybe the the priest is wicked, or maybe uh, maybe the, the people did something wrong, or um, maybe the ritual wasn't done properly. So all of Israel's in anticipation. They're in anticipation over their own sins, and there's an anticipation that they need to have this atonement coming, and and so. A lot of the way people have continued to to celebrate Yom Kippur is with that same sense of anticipation. Um, but I need, I want to tell us something here. I want I really want us to to hammer this home and, and to take a look at it. If you are planning on fasting on Yom Kippur, if you're planning on celebrating Yom Kippur, um, that's fine. You know, be led of the Lord. But one thing that we mustn't get in our minds is we are not fasting, wondering if God is going to accept the offering of Christ on our behalf. We're not fasting, wondering if the offering is going to be good enough or if God will make atonement this year. Um, there, there's nothing that's going to happen on the Day of Atonement this year or next year or any other year. Cosmically, your situation with God does not change. Now, maybe maybe you get saved. That, that would change your situation with God. Um, but the offering that Christ offered once and for all, he went in to the holy place made without hands and he offered his own blood, once and for all. He cleansed the sanctuary in heaven. He cleansed our hearts. He's purified us, and he has satisfied the wrath of God forever. He has made a permanent atonement. That atonement is not going to be anticipated in the future. We're not waiting for another atonement to come. We're not waiting for a better offering to come or a better priest to come along. Uh, we're not. It's not as if Christ halfway gave us our atonement. And he said, I, you know, I'll pay for 50% of your sins and then you'd be on another. You, you get on this payment plan where you do some good works and pay off the other 50%. He didn't pay 90% and he's still hoping that you'll get your act together and pay for the other 10%. He came and he paid once and for all for 100% of your sins. And that, that payment has been made in full. It was made perfectly for you. And, and he's not wanting 50% of you. He's not wanting 90% of you. He paid for 100% of your sins because he wants 100% of you. 
and, and there's a freedom to give that 100% to him. You know, we don't have to live in our own passions and our own drudgery and our own, uh, our, under the weight of our own flesh, wishing that we just, you know, we, we wish we wanted to serve God more, but just, we don't really want to, you know, we don't have to live under any of that guys, because here's what happened. Christ, if we'll give it to God, if we'll let him have it, he took all of that carnal evil nature and he put it to death on the tree. And, and he sent his Holy Spirit, that fire from heaven. I don't have to figure out how to get up in the morning and, and muster myself and, and make myself a little fire so I can burn my offering to God that I don't really want to give him on the altar. I don't have to do that. Christ, he offered the offering. He sent his holy, his holy, lovely, fiery spirit down from heaven. And, and that's, that's in my heart. That's on my head. That's in my spirit. And, and if I will just look on what Christ has done, I have everything I need to give him everything he wants. I have everything I need to love him from the heart 100% to give my life as an offering, not from the fire I made, but from the fire that he gave. To give my life as an offering, not for my own sins, but because he's made an offering and to give it in joy because it's a soothing aroma to him. I want to read a couple of passages here before we go. If we go to, to Hebrews chapter 9, and again, I would really encourage you, go back to uh, Leviticus 16, God's holy law, his wonderful, beautiful things that he showed to Israel, that he showed to Moses. They, If we have an unveiled face, when we're looking for the face of Christ, uh, everything in the Old Testament is so glorious, it's so beautiful, even the details, down to the last uh, drop of lamb's blood, it's beautiful. Um, it might be a little foreign to us, but you know what? God is holy. He's different than us. And, and he's trying to tell us some things that we really can't understand, especially when we look at them through the lens of his son. Um, that nitty gritty stuff, man, get into it. There's good stuff there when we keep our eyes on Jesus. So one of the offerings that's going to happen, you might know this, um, at the Day of Atonement, there was, they would have lots, kind of like they flip a coin, but there's a, or draw straws. Um, they would pick between two goats. They'd have two goats. This is just one of the offerings on the Day of Atonement, but it's the one that, that he would bring in and sprinkle the blood on in the holy place, in that most holy place. And one would be, one of the lots would be for Yahweh, and one of them would be for Azazel, or the scapegoat. So they would, they would take the one for the scapegoat, and they would confess all the sins of Israel, and they would put him off into the wilderness, and they would send him away. And they would take the goat that was for Yahweh, and they would sacrifice that goat, and that's the blood that they would bring into the holy place. And now, see, Aaron didn't get to eat this offering um, because it was it was most holy. Anything that goes into the most holy place, the priests don't get to eat because the priests can't make atonement for themselves. So it's just the blood. It's just the blood that's going to be making atonement for them. But then what they would do, since they're not going to eat it, they're going to go into the most holy place of all and sprinkle that blood. And then they're going to take that animal out of the camp and they're going to take him to an unclean or to a clean place, excuse me, a clean place. And they're going to burn his body, all of the skin, all of the, all of the, uh, the awful and the, and the meat and everything. And they're going to burn it because nobody's going to eat it. This is holy. It's very holy. Okay. So when we look in Hebrews, I wanted to show you this here. And again, I would just encourage you. Um, I hope this makes you hungry to know more about uh, God's law and how God's law was fulfilled in Christ. I hope it makes you hungry 
to be a disciple of Christ and to, and to realize what Christ has accomplished for us, please go read all of the book of Hebrews. Ask the Lord Jesus to show you the places in your heart, in your life. I know that if you're anything like me, there are places in your life where you're trying to muster up your own fire. You're trying to look for inspiration in places that God doesn't want you to. You're trying to, to go along and, and just muster it up and then give it to God. And that's not how God wants us to live. He wants us, he says, look, look what I provided. Look at fire from heaven. Isn't that good enough for you? And you say, yes, Lord, it is. I'm sorry. Um, let's ask, you know, because that was the thing. He says that make sure that on the day of atonement, uh, he's telling the children of Israel, don't do any work. I want, I need you to sit down and shut up and let me make atonement for you. I encourage you just go back, read the whole book of Hebrews. Go um, dig into Leviticus, particularly 16 and 17. And you're going to see all these parallels here. Very interesting. So we're going to read two of them before we go. This is going to be Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. But Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come, with greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer and the sprinkling of the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the internal inheritance. Okay, so notice what he says there. It's by his own blood that he entered into the most holy place of all. So that was like the goat that has to do that on the Day of Atonement, right? There's another connection. He's going to talk about the Day of Atonement um, here in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 10. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. So again, we talked about what happens with the goat. If it's taken into the most holy place of all, it's burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one that is to come. Therefore, by him let us continually offer our sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to him in his name. But do not forget to do good and to share, for by such sacrifices God is well pleased. So, there are so many connections it would take us. Maybe we'll do another series on this. Maybe we'll do a couple of more episodes or something in the future. But uh, there's so many connections about the offerings uh, that take place on Yom Kippur and the book of Hebrews. Um, but one thing we need to think about, so we, we often think about Passover and Christ being the Passover lamb. So just like the Passover lamb, he died for us to bring us out of bondage. But that same offering, it's not like we're going to be having to wait for another. It's not like he had to die at the Day of Atonement to fulfill the Day of Atonement. Um, it's not as if Christ is bound by the law to do things according to the law. If Christ's sacrifice was according to the law, then he would have been a goat or he would have been a lamb. I mean, he's the lamb of God, but he wouldn't have been a human, right? So it says in Romans that the righteousness of God 
apart from the law has been revealed, and it's more witnessed to by the law and the prophets. So when Christ came, the sacrifice that he offered, his blood, his life, it wasn't something Moses prescribed, but it was something Moses foretold, something Moses prophesied. It wasn't according to the law, but it was bore witness to by the law. It was greater than the law so that it could fulfill the law. It could sum up what the righteous requirements of the law were asking. It could, it could telegraph um, the nature of God. God is saying in shadows and types, but in Christ, the full substance of what the law was getting at is shown forth. So Christ's death on the cross was him as our Passover lamb, but Christ's death on the cross also uh, was was shown to us, it was foreshadowed to us in the offerings on the Day of Atonement, that he's actually entered into the most holy of all. He's made us clean. He's been a, a high priest forever. And so whether it be any sacrifice in the Old Testament, but a, particularly this most holy sacrifice, the blood of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ paid once and for all on Calvary, it fulfills the sacrifice. We are not looking for a day in the future where a new price will be paid for our sins. We can stand in Christ now and say, Lord, I know that you've paid for my sins. Lord, maybe, maybe I'm struggling to give you all of my heart even. Lord, maybe I've fallen back into sin. Maybe I'm, I'm struggling with things I know I wish I could give up. And just right now, I just want to pray with, with anyone that has those. And I think that's, that's most of us, most of the time, we, we struggle with something. We're all weak in some way. Um, whether, we're, whether you're backslidden right now or you're just trying to, to press into the Lord, uh, we need him. And the way that we come to him is, is not by going the rounds again and trying to muster up something in our own flesh, but we look to him and we say, Lord, what you did on the cross is good enough. What you did on the cross is good enough. Your blood is sufficient. Your grace is sufficient. The fire that you sent from heaven, that's sufficient for me to serve you under. Uh, Lord, I just repent. We repent for our, our own works of the flesh. We repent for our own lusts and the things that when we look at things to distract ourselves, um, to take ourselves to when we, when we look in at this world and, and we flirt with this world and we think that the, the pleasures of sin will be better than you, Lord, I just ask that you would remove every bit of our wicked heart, Lord, that the blood of Jesus would come and, and fill the cracks of our stony heart that it would come and we could see that your love is so much better than wine, that your love is, is so much better than what this world has to offer, that the glory that shines from your face is so much greater than the glow of a smartphone screen or any other thing, any other lover that would come and try to take our attention, Lord. Um, and we don't, we don't want to try to just live a life to, to offer an offering to you so our sins can be forgiven, Lord. We want to look to the offering you've offered for us, we want to treat you as holy for what you've done. And we want to ask that you would, you would make us holy as you are holy, Lord. That you would make us live in the sacrifice of joy. That we could, we could lift our voice up with a shout for what you've done. And we could have faith, Lord. I ask that you would just pour out faith on us. That, that we could have faith that you make us right. You make us righteous. You've made us pure by the blood of your Son. And you can give us everything we need to live a vibrant, holy 
dominating life for your kingdom so that your glory would shine to the nation so that the people that need to know you would see your glory shine through us in our life. Lord, to everyone that's listening, mothers out there, fathers out there, anyone struggling in their sins, we just bless you in the name of Jesus. Anyone that's struggling in their, the world bogging them down, overwhelmed, we just bless you in the name of Jesus to walk in freedom, to walk not according to the flesh, not according to your own works, but to walk in the freedom and the spirit that, that God, he came to lift every burden, every bondage off of you, that you wouldn't be entangled by anything, that you wouldn't be bogged down by anything. And Lord, I just ask that you would lift your son up, even in this moment right now, to, to anyone that's listening, that, that they would look on him whom they have pierced, and they would see the love that, that you have for those people. And that you would just release every burden, every weight, every sin, every bondage, every sorrow. And that they would walk in the freedom that you provided for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Thanks for joining us today. Up next, we're going to be talking about the Feast of Sukkot. Hop on over to Instagram and find me at the same handle as this podcast is called, In the Proper Time. See you next time.